Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, February 12th. 2023. The Sure ID numbers for Friday, February 10th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,950. That's 19950. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,951. That's 19951. This morning, A Vision for You presents A Journey from Emotional Dependency to Emotional Sobriety. For members of 12-step fellowships, such as Overeaters Anonymous, the steps serve a specific purpose. According to Alcoholics Anonymous co-founder Bill Wilson, their author, the 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink for us to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us, as recovered compulsive overeaters, food sober and happy. The 12 steps are designed to bring about a spiritual awakening, a change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, a change in the way we behave. Our selfish, self-centered pursuits have been subdued and redirected. Our spiritual awakening instills in us a new perspective, a new perspective on God, a new perspective on others, a new perspective on ourselves. However, Recovery means adopting a way of life that requires continuous commitment and effort. We can and must continue to let go of fear, resentment, and selfishness, put aside selfish demands, practice being tolerant, patient, and loving, and become more connected to God, our family, our friends, and our fellows. We now look for continued emotional sobriety, emotional balance, and increased joy in living and fulfillment from things with real and lasting value. Awakened to the presence of God in our lives, becomes filled with new purpose and meaning. With us today to share her experience, strength, and hope is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Kathy is devoted to living in God's design 
the 12-step way of life and carrying this message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome Kathy Kay to the line this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Leah. Thanks so much for that introduction. And um, I'm really grateful and excited to be here today. Um, I'd like to start uh, with a prayer. Um, God, please set aside everything I think I know about me, you, this program of recovery, and spiritual matters so that I may have an open mind and an open heart for a new experience with you. Please help me to see the truth and to share the truth with my fellows today. Amen. I'm really grateful to be here. Uh, There are so many people on the line who have been my teachers, and uh, I am sure you may identify, if not see, some of your wisdom in my story. Um, I want to start by telling you um, how I qualify to be here. Um, I've been in OA for almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years on August 9th of this year. When I came to the rooms, um, I had about 20 pounds to lose. I wasn't even sure when I heard about OA that I belonged in OA. But um, at my first meeting, I knew I was home. I was killing myself with food because I was binging and purging and compulsively eating. And also, I was a type 1 diabetic, so I was really uh, in danger of losing vital organs because I could not put food in its place in my life. Perhaps equally important, Um, I lived about 90% of my waking hours in anxiety and depression. Although I had a thriving career and a loving husband and an adorable son, I was not very happy. My husband, Peter's observation at one point Just before I went to my first OA meeting, he observed, he said, you know, you have everything going for you, and yet you don't seem happy. This really struck me deeply because I had been striving to be happy all my life, and it was always out of reach. I want to talk about my journey today in three parts. Um, The first part, which lasted about seven or eight years, I would say, uh, was a period of getting to know OA, developing an understanding of food abstinence, building a supportive fellowship, 
finding a good sponsor and the right food plan. These were my preoccupations. And um, what I found during that first decade or so um, was that um, there were actions I needed to take in order to find peace and serenity and food abstinence. I learned during that period that um, I am emotionally immature. My fellows told me that because we had covered or uh, numbed ourselves from our emotions for so many years, we were immature, um, and we did not know how to respond to them effectively. Um, I remember hearing at an early meeting about um, feelings are important, however they don't govern our behavior. And that was an entirely new concept to me. I actually lived in my feelings. And when I was anxious, I was anxious for long periods of time because I had no route out except to eat and numb. Um, and this was a way of life for me. So that first decade or so was very important because I learned the role of food in my life and how, as it's been said by our fellows, food is the solution, it's not the problem. I had used food to cope, and um, it was difficult to... Um, really get a handle on that and to uh, take the time to learn through working the 12 steps that I would have to put the food down and find other ways to cope. So that began, began my journey with the 12 steps. I have to say it took me quite a while to move from um, being uh, governed my, by my emotions to following a food plan and to doing the work I was instructed to do um, while abstinent in order to discover my relationship with a higher power and a new way of life. I floundered a lot in that first decade. Um, I kept, when I broke my abstinence, I would f figure it must be my food plan is not right or my sponsor is not right. And so I would go on the search for a new sponsor and a new food plan. And I did this for many years. Um, it wasn't until the approximately the year 2000 that um, I discovered the big book. So those of you who are here today and know the value of the big book, even if you're new, you are in the right place because the big book is what held the solution for me. Um, and it was with the help of several sponsors along the way 
that I have studied the big book cover to cover four times over my years. Um, And I continue to practice what's in the book and to read segments from the book every day of my recovery. I should say um, that a big uh, part, turning point for me, was when I recognized my food plan and my efforts to stay abstinent were not sufficiently grounded in daily disciplines that could keep me abstinent. And that was also a time when I realized that living life in recovery in the 12 steps requires daily practice. So for the last five years or so, I have had a lot of structure in my life, which includes daily reading, writing, praying, um, doing service, and practicing each of the 12 steps to the best of my ability. You know, I hearken back to Leah's point um, about Bill Wilson, and I don't know why it took me so long, but uh, it took me a while to really internalize Bill Wilson's um, notion of emotional sobriety. Um, But for me, it's been the key to to the... Uh, deepening of my happiness and peace of mind and satisfaction. And it's only come in the last few years, which is why I really wanted to share about this. Because even though I had been living in the 12 steps for over 20 years, and I had a, a good record of abstinence, food abstinence, I was not really feeling um, happy, joyous, and free, which is what we're promised as a result of working the 12 steps. I still had uh, bouts of anxiety and depression, and I didn't know why until I went back to Bill Wilson's article, The New Frontier, Emotional Sobriety, written in 1958. And I want to read you a couple things that he said because he says them better than I could. He said, Suddenly I realized what the matter was when I asked myself, why can't the 12 steps release my depression? My basic flaw had always been dependence, almost absolute dependence on people or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like. Failing to get these according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. Boy, did this describe me. When I didn't 
get the promotion I wanted or when my husband wasn't available to me the way I wanted or when a friend didn't return my call as fast as I wanted her to, I would become depressed or resentful or angry. Um, I was very dependent on outside circumstances for my happiness. And, you know, we learn in program that we must learn to live life on life's terms. And I kind of miss that. I had I had been raised to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. And somehow I got the message as a young person that um, I have to make the world what I want it to be. And I set out to do that. I got my education. I set some goals for myself. And then I set out to get what I wanted. Um, And as Bill said, when things didn't go my way, um, I would fall into anxiety and depression. He also says those adolescent urges that so many of us have for approval, perfect security, and perfect romance, urges quite appropriate to age 17, prove to be an impossible way of life when we are 47 or 57 or even 72. And that was so true for me. I was wanting perfection in all areas of my life. I was wanting external affirmation and approval to any from anyone who I thought was important or who I admired in this world. Um, and he goes on to say, If we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find that the root of it is some unhealthy dependency and its consequence, unhealthy demand. He also said, let us surrender these hobbling demands. Then we can be set free to live and love we may be able to see 12-step ourselves and others. We may be able to 12-step ourselves and others into emotional sobriety. I was very inspired by this. I realized that although I had been practicing the 12 steps for many years, there was something missing Um, I had worked hard in the second period of my recovery to build a connection with a higher power of my own understanding, and I had that today. I think it was back in 2018 or maybe earlier I did a talk on my agnosticism to faith, my journey from agnosticism to faith, And I have been living with a vital connection with a higher power for quite a few years now. And I practice all the steps, especially 3, 7, and 11 every day. Um, And I also do resentment turnarounds and fear turnarounds 
as often as I need to. And I also every day review my day to see where I may have fallen into a false dependency or at least an unhealthy dependency. It's real, but it's not healthy for me. And it keeps me in a bondage to self. I want to uh, suggest uh, two definitions of emotional sobriety because I've read uh, quite a bit about it, and it's taken me a while to get to get clear about what emotional sobriety means to me. Um, and then I'd like to give you some examples from my own experience on how I use the steps um, to aim for emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety is freeing ourselves from the bondage of our emotions. It is a state in which we experience our emotions and respect them, but respond to them thoughtfully rather than simply react to them. Nor do we blame our emotional responses on other people. For example, when I did my first fourth step, uh, I had 17 resentments towards my husband. Today, I live without resentment toward my husband most of the time. I'm not perfect at it, but I have learned how to examine my reactions, my feelings toward him, and to see what they tell me about me um, and how best to act or not act on the information my feelings give me. Uh, Bill also says, ultimately, we build the capacity to respond effectively after pausing and considering the origins of a disturbance and how best to respond to it. Um, So when I am emotionally sober, I'm able to live in my true self. Um, I can maintain emotional balance despite any disturbances which are created by people, places, and things not fulfilling my selfish expectations. It involves keeping my center of gravity within me and not letting other people's reality determine my reality. I have learned to stop taking things personally and to develop a healthy perspective on myself and my feelings. Um, I'm not striving to be perfect. I'm not living on the basis of shoulds anymore or a false sense of self, which I developed as a young child. Um, but I have come to appreciate who I am 
and allow myself to feel what I'm feeling and then to take care of my feelings in a manner which brings me peace and emotional sobriety. I want to give you three examples um, of how this works in my life. Um, I already told you um, that I used to have, when I did my first fourth step on my marriage, um, I had so many resentments toward my husband, Peter. Um, And today I am so grateful to have him in my life. Most of the time we enjoy each other, we laugh with each other, we grow with each other. Um, and it's it's nothing but a miracle in my view, because when I first came to program, I was considering separation or divorce. Um, however, I still have my moments. And not long ago, maybe two weeks ago, I was feeling very resentful towards Peter. Um, So I did a resentment inventory, and I saw my selfishness. He wasn't following my script in that I wanted more cuddling time with him. I wanted him to initiate more cuddling time with him. I wanted him to need to spend more time with me uh, to match my need to spend time with him. Um, I thought, you know, after praying to God, um, that I could not be happy unless he changed his behavior. Um, I learned as I began to think about emotional dependency and moving towards emotional sobriety, that instead of living in resentment, because he couldn't or wouldn't do what I wanted him to do, I had to acknowledge that my demand or dependency was that I needed him to respond positively always and often and to reach out to me in ways that he's not naturally inclined to do. Um, if he didn't do that, I would become despondent and annoyed. Um, For years, I tried to control him. I explained to him over and over what I needed from him. It didn't make anything change. Um, If if anything, it caused him a bit of... Uh, he would start to feel judged and unappreciated. What I learned from looking at this from the point of view of my emotional dependency is that I needed to pause, as we are taught to do, bring God in, and seek ways to comfort myself, or at least to change the focus. Um, Instead of sitting there feeling unlovable um, and rejected, I had to see the truth. The truth is 
it's not personal. It doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It just means that he's different than I am. It doesn't mean that he's not committed to our relationship. Uh, It just means that he's more comfortable with uh, certain things and ways of being in relationship than I am. Ultimately, I had to learn um, to acknowledge what I feel and to comfort myself, if not pick up the phone and call a fellow and share my resentment inventory. I had to not take it personally, and I had to shift the focus. When I took these actions after noting my emotional reaction, I would come to feel at peace once again. Example number two. I am working on a research project. Um, Even though I'm retired, I'm still doing some work in my profession. And um, I find that even though I've been a professional for 40 years or so, um, I still um, have an unhealthy dependency um, with my colleagues. My colleagues are my peers, people I have known for many, many years. And my unhealthy dependency I've come to see is that I need my colleagues to affirm me every time I see them. I need them to give me positive feedback when I am feeling unsteady or unsure. And when I have done something which they are critiquing, um, I start to feel like there's something wrong with me or I'm not good enough. Uh, These are symptoms of emotional dependency. My unrealistic demand or expectation, my selfishness, is that I expect all of my team members to support me unconditionally and to not give me any critical feedback. And we all know that critical feedback, or maybe I should call it constructive feedback, because that is what it is, um, helps us improve our work. But if I'm hearing every statement as a statement about my worth, then there's something wrong there. I had to begin to understand and see how um, my false self was expecting everyone around me to give me self-worth, which, as we know, comes from being in relationship with our higher power and learning how to comfort ourselves, esteem ourselves, and do esteemable work. My reaction when my colleagues uh, offer constructive feedback was, and still is sometimes, to withdraw and to start to feel less than. So I know today that to get back to a 
a moment or a place of peace and serenity. I need to give myself compassion and support rather than judge myself for being emotionally dependent. I have to instead recognize that I have a need that only God and um, my own nurturing self can take care of. Ultimately, like in the situation with Peter, I need to take what they say, my colleagues, not personally, and to acknowledge that if I am feeling rejected or hurt, this is my responsibility. I have to shift my focus, recognize the problem, and begin to comfort myself And that sometimes involves reaching out to fellows and sharing my experience so that they can remind me of how I can use the steps and my relationship with God to soothe myself and comfort myself and return to peace and emotional sobriety. The last example I'll give you is... uh, It comes from observing my relationship with myself. What I notice um, is whenever other people have expectations of me, like giving this talk today or showing up at a meeting or leading a meeting or meeting with my colleagues or spending the day with my son, Anytime others have expectations of me, I get anxious. Um, It seems that my unhealthy dependency here uh, rides, my well-being rides on what others think of me and what I need to do to get their reassurance. The the unreasonable demand or expectation I have uh, of myself, really, this is not this is what I project on other people. I should be able to learn more quickly. I am less than others in program and in my life, and I expect others to respond to me in ways that don't cause me any disturbance. These are dishonesties. These are assumptions I brought with me into program that I have to continue to let go of when they start surfacing. And, um, you know, when, when this gets set in motion, because I'm not entirely free of dependency, I do start to feel less than and I try to control my emotions, and I start to withdraw from others, Um, I will then start to try to please others, especially when this happens with my son or my husband. And I can also start judging myself harshly. 
And what I've learned through my journey towards emotional sobriety, I need to remember that I am no longer in charge, that I need to surrender my feelings, and I need to invite God in to help me process them. I need God to show me how to be kind and accepting toward myself. When I surrender in this way, I accept my own self-love. I become self-accepting, and I let go of self-judgment. I also reach out to my fellows for support and insight. As is often the case, I am powerless over my feelings uh, whenever I perceive that my sense of well-being is threatened. This has been a lifelong struggle, and my only recourse today is to turn to my higher power for his grace. When I do this, I relinquish self-judgment and I find self-acceptance, and I find more kindness and patience, not only towards myself, but towards others. After finding this peace, this distance allows me to look at the situation more closely and to remember not to take whatever is happening personally. Um, when I see that I am having unrealistic demands and expectations. I do need to accept and acknowledge what I am feeling and that it is my responsibility to comfort myself and to shift my focus. I was asked at a workshop I attended not too long ago Um, three questions which I think are relevant to all of us when we consider what does it mean to move from dependency to emotional sobriety. The first one is, how do I cope with life when things don't go my way? The second one is, how do I treat myself when I don't live up to my expectations of myself. Because if we are emotionally dependent and immature, we probably carry very unrealistic expectations of ourselves. I know I do, and I know I have to continually look at those and practice self-acceptance. And... How do I respond to my fellows when they don't do what I think they should do? And this question really took me to reflecting on my relationships with my sponsor and my sponsees. Do I sometimes expect things of them which are unrealistic and keeping me in emotional dependency? This uh, recent journey of mine of moving from emotional dependency to emotional sobriety, I consider to be a lifelong journey. 
just like my recovery journey. It is part of my recovery journey. What I have learned um, from this recent growth and experience is that I need to continue my regular inventory work and also strengthen my willingness to pause often during my day so that my higher power can help me respond to what I'm feeling rather than simply react. Another thing, I need to keep my center of gravity within myself, not in other people who I admire or fear. Uh, And this is uh, definitely on page 88 in the big book where it says, at the first sign of disturbance or discomfort, we turn to our higher power. I must do this on a daily basis often during the day. I need to stop taking things personally. I need to stop pressuring others to change and instead pressure myself to change, but to do that with kindness and love. I need to spend more time in gratitude and appreciate what is. I need to comfort myself when I am hurt or disappointed. I need to see relationship tensions, as in my relationship with my husband, as the fuel for personal growth. Every moment of conflict or tension is an opportunity to pause and reflect and to ask God to give me a new insight or a new understanding. And finally, whereas I used to think that problems generated from outside myself, I now realize that problems that I cannot solve really generate from within myself. So I have great hope today that with the steps and with the way of life that we share here, Uh, in recovery will enable me to live in peace and serenity and emotional sobriety one day at a time. And with that, I hope something I've said has been helpful, especially to the newcomer, but to everyone to whom I owe so much gratitude. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kathy, for such a beautiful presentation this morning. Truly powerful, thought-provoking, and transparent. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Yes, inspirational. That's for sure. Today's share ID for Kathy's presentation, 19,954. That's 19954. Kathy's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can pose a question, questions only, please, to Kathy by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first initial of your last name. 
Brenda A, New York. Trisha G, Chris M, L for Florida. Gloria G, Susan C from New York. Let me tell you who I have. I missed a bunch of people. I have Brenda A, Trisha G, Chris M. I believe there was a Gloria, Susan C. Um, Michelle F. Michelle F. Katie K. Katie K. Susan L. Susan L. Was I correct that there was a Gloria? Yes. Okay. Your last initial, please, Gloria? Yes, it's Gloria. Okay. All right, let's go with this list. Again, Brenda A., Trisha G., Chris M., Gloria, I'll need your initial, please, Susan C., Michelle F., Katie F., and Susan L. Everybody, please mute except for Brenda A. Um, Good morning, Leah, and thank you for your service, and thank you, Kathy, for an extraordinary share. My question is as follows. You said that you had at one point. I'm not hearing you. Brenda A. Sorry, hi. Good morning, and thank you for your service, Leah and Kathy. Um, Kathy, at one point you said you had 17 resentments towards your husband. Would you be kind enough to share um, how you made an amend or how you made amends to him? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, I will say that um, because of where I was in my own recovery at the time, I wanted to make amends immediately after I did my fourth step because I felt a lot of guilt and shame and um I recognized all the the selfishness I had brought to our relationship but fortunately my sponsor at the time insisted that I complete uh steps 5, 6 and 7 before I made an amends to him. So that took a bit of time, not a lot of time. Um, But it was important for me to get clarity about my character defects, which is what I did in step five and six, and then um, uh, to ask, to begin working on those defects um, in step seven by practicing their opposite. And when I finally felt like I was doing that, I said to him, I want to make an amends to you. Can we sit and talk? I prepared my amends with my sponsor, thinking very carefully about what I wanted to say and not say. And it was clear that what I wanted to say to him uh, was... uh, I don't have the details here, but I said to him I was sorry for all the ways in which I had caused him harm during the first 15 years of our marriage. Um, And I reiterated what I thought those harms were, and then I told him I was working on being more patient, accepting, um, 
uh, owning my part in situations, less judgmental. I I really told him what I was going to do differently to the best of my ability. I also acknowledged that I wouldn't be doing it perfectly because I was still pretty early in my recovery. Um, And I have since made amends to him much um, more timely, you know, right at the moment when I've said something harmful or done something harmful. But the big amends I made when I got to step nine the first time around And actually, I think every fourth step I've done since, there's always been something, uh, perhaps, that I see anew, you know, that I'm not quite as patient yet as I would like to be, and I can have another conversation with him about that. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Brenda A. Trisha G., your turn. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Kathy. That was just a wonderful share and a great topic. I appreciate it so much. This is Trisha G. I'm from Washington State, recovered. My question is, um, could you talk about how you might bring in the unreasonable expectation and demand into your 10th step? I understand um, the unhealthy dependency is showing up as dishonesty and fear, but I'm also wondering how you might word it and look at it differently when you have the lens of emotional sobriety. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I do use a 10-step format that's laid out in the big book, um, which asks us to review our resentments. Kathy, star one. Kathy, please press star one. Sorry, somehow I got muted. Okay. There are questions I ask myself um, after I've done a traditional 10th step as it's laid out, I think on page 86 or 85 in the big book, um, and that is uh, to ask myself, um, after I completed a resentment inventory, for example, how am I being um, demanding? What am I expecting of un- other people and and assuming that I cannot be at peace unless they change? That's the first question. And the second question is, um, uh, what can I do um, to uh, address my own dependency, are there? What is it that I need that I'm insisting someone else provide? Um, and there are a couple of other questions that I'm not remembering right now. But if you call me, I will dig out a reference. Um, it basically has to do with recognizing the dependency, acknowledging what it is you need from that, what you're needing from that dependency, learning how to meet your own emotional needs or uh, talk to a fellow about it and then um, letting go of the expectation. 
So it's very similar to completing. You might add a few questions to your nightly review. That may be a good way to go. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. Tricia. Thank you, Tricia G. Chris M., star one to unmute. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Chris M., uh, compulsive overeater from uh, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Kathy, so much for your share. It just, I was furiously writing notes, and I'll have to listen to it again. Um, but one of my question is, when you're, um, you were talking about, um, you know, the dependency on others um, instead of God and instead of, you know, um, seeking that validation. Uh, so, when you're busy, like one of my struggles is when I'm at work for the day and things come up and practice the pause. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm on the phone all day I um, uh, unless it's during my breaks. And, and what can you do when you're, when, you're, when you're busy doing another task and you can't step away to do that pause until later? Mm. Is there anything, yeah, like, you know, it, it, without making an excuse, right? Like to be able to deal with it as soon as I have time, that's what I struggle mm-hmm. with. And mm-hmm. how do I, how, how can I like remember I have problems forgetting, which is also an excuse thing for me. So did you, do you ever have that experience? And if you did, like, how do you, um, how can you deal yeah, with them as soon as you can? Yeah. Right. Thank that's you. such a good question. And I realize as you ask it, Chris, that, um, I have the luxury that I'm retired now from my full-time job, Um, so I have a little more space in my day to pause in the way that I know that I need to. And I remember when I was working full-time, I had the same experience that you're having. And what I would say is I did, first of all, I found a way to make my outreach calls while at work because a lot of my um, emotional dependencies were triggered during the workday. You know, I wanted affirmation. I wanted uh, encouragement. I wanted to know I was okay in the eyes of my colleagues and my bosses. So I was often triggered. So I made it a point that I would have at least two of my outreach calls during the day Um, where I could share a tenth step. Um, And I tried to do that. Now, when days were really busy, I couldn't do that. And I would be in the middle of a meeting and start to feel insecure or um, like I wanted something that wasn't happening. Um, And, you know, Chris, I think what I would say to your question is, I could anywhere, anytime, say a prayer and ask God for help. Um, And that's what I would do um, to remind me that this too shall pass and I will be able to talk about this or reflect on it when my day is over. I hope that helps. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris M. Gloria G., your turn. Hi, this is Gloria G. from Arkansas, Recovered Social Reader. Um, thank you so much, Kathy, for your share. I saw so much of myself in what you said. 
Um, my only question is, you, you read from uh, an article that LW wrote. Can you give me the name of that article and where you found it? Yes, you can Google it online. Um, it's called The New Frontier, colon, Emotional Sobriety. It was written in 1958 in the Grapevine, you know, the AA uh, magazine. But if you just plug in that title, you'll get it. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you, Gloria. Susan C., followed by Michelle F. Go ahead, Susan. Yeah, thanks, uh, Kathy and Leah. Kathy, I have so much respect for you and your program and really appreciated hearing your share. And um, given the topic of emotional sobriety, I'm going to ask a question on that basis, and if it feels more appropriate um, for an offline discussion, I'll, I will honor that. Okay. The question is about feelings, and I heard you say, and it's how I try to live today, about not letting my feelings, I don't remember your exact language, but, you know, be the, um, the guiding force in terms of my behavior. Right. And yet you also spoke about the importance of feelings, and um, I'm trying to find that balance, and I'm so appreciating this talk, where I don't discard or discount my feelings, and yet I also don't make them, the, I, I don't make them bigger than they are. I don't turn my power over to my feelings. Right. Oh, that's so I just wondered if there's anything you could say to, say to that. Thanks so yeah, much again that's... for your talk. Yeah, thanks so much, Susan. I'm so glad you're here today. Um, yes, uh, I think the key is in Bill, I think it was Bill W. in that article, talks about react, reacting versus responding. So until I began to understand what it is to be emotionally mature and emotionally sober, I reacted to my emotions, meaning if I was angry, I thought I had to express that right away in order for me to to get to a better place. Or I thought I should be able to be rid of it right away in order to get to a better place by ignoring it. And I think what I've learned is to respond means to wait, to pause, to pray, and to ask for guidance, and then respond. And so I am paying as much attention to my emotions as I ever did, but I'm not letting them govern my next action. I hope that helps, and I'd love to talk to you about it offline. Thank you, Susan C. Michelle F., it's your opportunity to pose a question. Thank you so much. Hi, good morning. Michelle F., composer reader from Connecticut. Kathy, thank you so much. Your share helped me probably more than you can possibly imagine. My question was actually already asked. I wanted to know the location of the readings as well, so I will pass and give the time to someone else. But just thank you very much for your talk. Thank you. Katie F. Good morning. This is actually Katie K. And, Gloria, 
Kathy. Thank you so much. I hung on to every word, and I will be listening to this again. And you talked throughout about the emotional dependency of needing affirmation, and to me it's even accolades. And then you talked about um, how you give that to yourself, how you are able to nurture yourself and esteem yourself and also whoa, get that whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, from God. Could you talk a little bit more about how exactly you do that? Thank you yes. so much. Yes, and let me acknowledge first off that I'm not done with that. I haven't completed my work on that. I still, uh, I'm not always able to give myself affirmation um, or to be soothed, or to be soothed um, by um, myself and my words. Um, and when that happens, I need to practice patience and acceptance um, until um, I'm, I start to feel better. So I, I think part of it is acknowledging that um, I'm not, I haven't yet developed the emotional sobriety, the, the strength of it, to take in words from myself to myself that I am really okay just the way I am, that I love myself unconditionally, and that I am worthy. Um, I'm not, I don't always believe that, that positive self-talk. And in those moments, I will pick up the phone and call a fellow and talk about um, what I am experiencing, like lack of worthiness or uh, low self-esteem, and explain to them that I'm struggling with it um, and I am praying about it, but it's still there. And usually what I receive back is the acceptance, understanding, and love to be patient and kind toward myself until the negative self-assessment uh, lifts, which it does, but it's not doesn't always happen right away. Does that, I hope that makes sense. So helpful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Katie. Okay. Susan L., your turn. Start one to unmute. Susan L., star one to unmute. Okay. Perhaps she had to get off the line. We still have time for a few more questions. Who else has a question? For Freya Sue S. from New Jersey. Freya Sue S. Carrie B. from Texas. Carrie B. Dana P. Dana P. Okay. I have Freya S. Freya H. Sue S. Carrie B. Dana P. Go ahead, Freya. 
with your question. Good morning. Thank you so much, Kathy. Awesome, awesome topic. Um, would you be willing to repeat your definitions of emotional sobriety and uh, when yes. you're emotionally sober? Okay. Um, <clears throat> Here's what I said in my talk. Uh, emotional sobriety is freeing ourselves from the bondage of our emotions. It is a state in which we experience our emotions and respect them, but respond to them thoughtfully rather than simply react to them. Nor do we blame our emotional responses on other people. We take full responsibility for our emotions and our choice to act or not based on the information they feed us. Ultimately, we build the capacity to respond effectively um, after pausing and considering the origins of a disturbance, which is basically doing a 10-step. Um, I should tell you there are some very good books written by a recovered AA who's also a psychologist, and if you call me, I will give you those titles. Thank you, for AH, for your question. Suze S., your turn. Good morning, Kathy. <laughs> this is quite a topic. Thank you so much for the wonderful way that you, you've you spoken about it. I'm going to have to listen to this again <laughs> very much, at least once, if not more. But um, one of the things you said was, well, one of my questions was how to comfort myself, and you did explain that. Um, and then the other is problems I can't solve are really generated within myself. Are we talking about if it's hysterical, it's historical, or are we going about talking about other things? If you could elaborate on that, that would be very helpful. Thank you. And by the way, I'm from New Jersey, not New York. So. <laughs> um, yes, Suze. Um, I think there were two parts to your question. The, the one I remember at the moment is when I say generated within myself, some of those are historical. That is, um, my need to be perfect um, and my need um, to achieve at very, very high levels, even when I don't want to, when I'm tired, um, those come from childhood beliefs that I developed in order to f ensure I would be loved. Um, and so they're really outdated expectations of myself, um, the shoulds that used to guide me, my false self, not my true self. And I've been working on that. I've been working on um, letting go of the expectations and beliefs I had in childhood that still govern me today, that are really outdated and prevent me from being at peace and being my true self. Um, now, in, but there is, and when I say the problem is in within me, I'll give you a current example. There are still moments when my husband doesn't do something 
the way I want him to or the way I think he should or the way that would make me happiest. And the problem is within me. He's actually doing what he is doing because of who he is and how he wants to be, unless he tells me otherwise. And so I have to figure out what is it triggering in me if I'm holding on to resentment or if I'm being snippy um, because he's not doing things the way I want him to. And once I recognize what's going on in me and what I'm demanding, I can discern whether there's something here to um, have a reasonable conversation with him about, which does happen, thankfully, Um, or is this something stemming from my own dependency that I could handle in a healthier way, healthier in terms of my peace of mind and in terms of our relationship. I think I will also acknowledge, by the way, that I tend to be conflict avoidant. That's something I know about myself. So I have to watch that I'm not um, uh, always coming to the conclusion it's my dependency that's got me in trouble here. It may actually be a legitimate area of difference that it would be useful to have a conversation about. And that's where um, I need courage and faith to move forward as well. And I pass. Thank you, Suze S. Carrie B., your turn. Hi, I'm Carrie B. from Texas. Um, Thank you so much, Kathy. Um, I needed to hear this at just the right time, um, so thank you. Um, My question is, did you put yourself on your four-step inventory, your resentment inventory? And if you did, what did that or what does that look like? I'm currently working a four-step. Yeah. You know, I think there are different uh, points of view about that, whether to include oneself on a fourth step. I always do, actually, um, because what I discover and will always perhaps discover are ways in which I'm continuing um, to be uh, impatient with myself or shooting myself um, or uh, not listening to that quiet voice within that holds my truth. Um, So I, I find it useful, although I have to say the longer I'm in recovery, the less um, I have uh, in terms of resentments towards myself because I I love who I am becoming much more than I loved who I came into this room as. So I think if you're at the beginning of your journey, it's a good thing to do to see, you know, 
what you're expecting of yourself, um, your dishonesties about that, your self-seeking, selfishness, and what what you're afraid of, how that creates fear for you. I think that's a great thing to do. I pass. Thank you, Carrie B. Dana P. Time for your question. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Kathy, for your uh, lovely presentation this morning. I'm Dana P. I'm in California. Um, you know, and how, how beautiful it is and what I'm seeing here that is uh, validation is a big one and um, validating you because it's where I am right now and in my process. But my question this morning um, is around uh, if you could share a little bit more about the relationship between um, anxiety, which you mentioned, anxiety and depression, and patience. Um, I can really relate to that. I could share a little bit more, and I'll be talking to you offline, <clears throat> but I appreciate that. Uh, pass. Yeah. Um... I, w- I have an anxiety disorder, and I will always have an anxiety disorder, even though I've been abstinent for a number of years now. Um, and so uh, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned patience, because um, I thought at one point to be happy, joyous, and free means to be rid of anxiety forever and depression forever. <laughs> and because I know who I am today, um, it's not, I will never be free of anxiety and um, depression. I would say not depression, but uh, I can, I am wired to go to the negative. That's who I am genetically. Um uh, and so I am practicing the 12 steps in part to um, hopefully change some of the brain circuitry that has me going to the negative thought first and always so that I can um, live freer of my natural inclinations. Um, and that requires patience. I cannot necessarily shift to a positive mindset in a minute or five minutes or ten minutes. Sometimes it takes two days. Um, And during those two days, I, I, I am much better off being patient with myself and um, trying to be loving towards myself and accepting towards myself. And my fellows help me do that. That's why outreach calls are such an important part of my daily routine. Um, because Especially my fellows who know me well, they know exactly what to say when I call and I say I'm not feeling worthy today, you know. Um, and so, uh, I can't do it on my own. And I think, um, recognizing that and recognizing that 
it's in God's time, not my time. I'd rather be rid of, when I have a negative emotion, I'd rather be rid of it as soon as possible. And prayer and pausing help, but they don't always um, alleviate the experience right away. And I'm glad you asked that question because by no means do I do this perfectly and I never will. Um, What I hope to point out today is we can do certain things, ask ourselves certain questions, do our inventories and, and lean into God and to the fellowship and have more emotional sobriety than we did before. And I pass. Thank you, Dana P. We have time for one more question, perhaps two. Rivka Christina J. Rivka. Rivka. Yes, I Rivka and Christina. Okay, go ahead, Rivka. Rivka and Christina, please. Go ahead, Rivka. Okay, hi. Thank you so much, Kathy. I related to everything you said in a very deep way, and it was very powerful, and I really appreciate it. Uh, my question is... Um, I struggle with feeling like I've never lived up to my potential, and I'm wondering if the balance between, you know, like uh, living up to if you have your potential and self-acceptance, like feeling like you've never lived up to your potential, and just being a place of self-acceptance. How you? Mm. Oh, Rivka, that's such a good uh, comment, which or question, and something. I revisit all the time. Um, you know, the the way I have come to understand it is that that pull between living up to our potential and accepting who we are is a lifelong dilemma. Um, and what has happened to me in recovery over the years is that I've come to see how my high ambitious expectations of myself living up to my potential have been moderated, and that's healthy for me. Um, You know, there was a time when I had really, really unrealistic ambitions professionally, and... um, uh, I actually got burnt out as a result because I wasn't doing self-care. I didn't have a program recovery. Um, I was pushing, 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 and I had no self-acceptance. Um, and over time in the program, I have come to practice self-acceptance and to understand uh, through my work in this program and through my daily connection with my higher power that um, who I am today is exactly where I'm meant to be. And honestly, when I heard people say that almost 30 years ago, I didn't understand it, nor did I think I could ever get there. And I'm here today, these many years later, saying... I continue to make progress there. I have days when I can say to myself, um, 
it just spontaneously occurs to me, you know, I could be doing more in such and such. Um, or uh, I can say to myself, I'm disappointed that I'm not doing more. Um, and I have to acknowledge the self-judgment and the impatience in those uh, words that I'm saying to myself. Um, and I pray that I accept who I am today and what I'm able to do today and that that's all I need to do. But I'm not entirely free of that, Rifka, and I would love to talk to you more about it. I Thank pass. You. Thank you, Rifka. Christina J., your turn. You'll have the last question this morning. Uh, thank you, Leah. Christina Jay from North Carolina. Thank you for your service. And Kathy, what a great share. And just what I've been studying recently because it's not about the food in my experience. You know, it's emotional sobriety drives this whole thing. Uh, anyway, my question is I heard you say um, sometimes you call a fellow and say I'm not worthy and I don't feel worthy today is what you said. And then just now talking about um, not feeling like you've done enough. Uh, maybe in your career, do you find that everything, not everything, but some of these things are not exactly related to a 10th step? Are they more like self-resentment that you process through a 10th step? And, you know, what would that look like? Thank you. Mm. Well, yeah, uh, it doesn't always fit into the format. Um, uh, But... um, of the resentment turnaround, but it is a disturbance. And so even if I can't do a formal uh, 10-step turnaround, I can talk about it with a fellow. Um, And um, I, I find if you've been doing the reading on emotional sobriety, there are some guidelines in there um, about identifying the unhealthy dependency, um, the unreasonable expectation, and how I'm responding to it, and what I need to do in order to stay centered. Um, and those questions help me see the next right action. So it's there are there there are inventory questions embedded in writing on emotional sobriety that are good follow up or part of a nightly inventory if you're looking for something like that. I'd be happy to talk to you about it offline. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Christina J for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And of course thank you so much, Kathy, for this illuminating, powerful, and very helpful presentation this morning. Another gem for the archives. Thank you very much. Thanks, Leah. Thanks Mm -hmm. for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Share ID for Kathy's presentation this morning, 19,954. That's 19954. We're going to close now with a reading from page 164. It's in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.